Welcome to the Neil Garfield Show, a presentation. Welcome to the Neil Garfield Show, a presentation sponsored by the Living Lies blog, GTC Honors, LendingLies.com, and The Garfield Firm. Servicing all 50 states and 24 countries with news and analysis about the largest economic crime in human history. This program is for general information only and should not be used as a substitute for legal advice or consultation with a licensed professional. This show is not intended as a solicitation for the engagement of any services. And now sitting in for Neil this week, it's your host, Charles Marshall. Hello, everyone. It's uh, May 20th, 2021, and I'm happy to uh, have Bill Padalo with me uh, with his usual trenchant and insightful analysis. Welcome, Bill. Uh, Hi, Charles. Good to be here as always. Excellent. So uh, we're going to be talking about, uh, I mean, frankly, everything we talk about is at, at every show and every topic involves what I what I often call fundamental rather than incidental matters. Uh, but for purposes of today's show, I think it could it could accurately be stated that the matters that we're discussing today are even more fundamental than usual. Particularly the first topic, uh, what we're talking about is nothing less than the gaming, in fact, it's really the subversion of the uh, auction process. And remember, the auction process is, is basically, it's a culminating event. It's, it's the way that, you know, uh, to put it very broadly, our clients, and, and I'm not using that in the legal way that it sounds, I'm talking about the borrowers, the fighters, those who are being literally dispossessed of their properties, those individuals all over the country, be they in non-judicial or judicial foreclosure areas, they're the ones that suffer the brunt of this whole architecture that's imposed on them, whereby misnamed, mislabeled, sometimes unidentified, you know, typically legally unsubstantiated entities foreclose and then after, you know, what amount to summary and uh, not Soviet level, we're not there yet. Uh, Nevertheless, summary legal proceedings, uh, they often are dispossessed of their properties illegitimately, legally and otherwise. And, of course, the auction date and the auction sale is one of the fundamental events that happens that is the very leading edge of the dispossession because once the legal ownership of your property is recorded to be in some other entity's name, then from that moment forward, you as the borrower, former borrower, person who thought you were taking out a loan at some point, you're the one that has to uh, explain why you should be uh, the legal owner and that you're the legal owner, which you don't have the recording 
uh, current documents to show that. You have to go back to previous recorded documents to show that. So the, the fundamental here that we're talking about is the way that particularly hedge funds game the auction process, and this is true in both judicial and non-judicial foreclosure states. What they do is, and, and Bill will be able to speak to this at a, at a level of detail uh, beyond my acumen at this particular time. Uh, he has a lot of data and a lot of particulars about all of this. And the basic framework is that hedge funds, and remember hedge funds, you know, they're in a not just a legal position but a practical position to take risk and to do things that go beyond even the typical uh, nominal sales trustee, nominal uh, servicer, you know, even the so-called trusts that are behind them supposedly calling the shots. The hedge funds are at the top of the food chain in charge of these so-called trust, securitized trusts, with theoretically thousands of loans on them. So the way that uh, this plays out is that uh, some of these top-of-the-food-chain organizations are going into a particular sale date, and they're actually doing last-minute assignments right before either a judicial or non-judicial sale. And it's, a, it's allowing them to then ultimately take the property back on an REO. So at the front end, they're using the the auction foreclosure process, which, as as many will recall, particularly in the non-judicial world, but it's analogically similar in the judicial foreclosure world, and that's where your property is put to sale because of the foreclosure, whether it's judicial or non-judicial, there's a legal order to sell your property. So at the end of that sale, you won't be the legal owner. I mean, that's a fundamental. That is uh, a constant and a, a common element to all these types of sales. So at the end of that type of sale, you won't be the legal owner. The legal owner is either going to be a third party or it's going to be the the so-called holder of the debt, which, you know, sometimes the servicer itself, it'll go back to the servicer if they're supposedly holding the debt. That's unusual. It's not unheard of. Usually it's the nominal trust. And they will be the ones to issue the foreclosing documents through the servicer and the sales trustee. And then if the property goes to sale, well, it goes to a third party. They are out of the picture and they wipe their hands clean. They have no more role, and their financial obligations are are over because they don't have to control the property anymore. But in in this environment where, uh, and we'll be talking about this later, by the way, when we when I do a COVID update, particularly related to the uh, the national foreclosure and eviction moratorium. So I will get to some of the details we're talking about now within the context of the latest on the COVID front 
for now, it's important to understand that a lot of these properties, even though they're in foreclosure, they have a significant amount of equity. So to tap into that equity and to basically take that equity, what these hedge funds are doing, structuring the initial auction sale in such a way that the sale will result in the property going back to them, and then they take it as an REO, then they try to find quickly a third-party purchaser so that they can take the equity that's still there after the sale. Yeah, it's a little complicated, and there are a lot of moving parts. Uh, Bill's going to weigh in now so he can kind of clarify how this all plays out. Sure. Well, uh, first of all, I just want to make sure that the listeners understand that what I'm about to talk about and what this subject matter is about is, for me anyway, it's it's a working theory still. Um, I, I'm gathering up evidence every day, and, and this is kind of what I'm now starting to see as um, these bits and pieces of the puzzle are coming together. And, and this only comes, again, from uh, reading bits and pieces of disclosed documents and litigation that they fight tooth and nail not to produce. Um, they don't want to give you the whole picture, obviously, but they, they give you little teeny bits and pieces and nuggets. And from that... Um, I have to assemble that all on the table, and 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 this theory that I've that I'm starting to um, believe, based on the evidence, um, it's really it's really pointing towards um, this overall gaming the system, which is no big surprise. So when we talk about hedge funds, uh, you know, this really isn't necessarily it, it, it's about all kinds of different players, large institutional players, hedge funds, but there's also a lot of uh, real bottom feeder. Uh, real estate investor types that are involved. And when I'm talking about uh, these, uh, uh, there's names of parties when, you, when I get into my research of broker dealers who are really operating and dealing with these fake trusts and, and peddling unregistered securities outside the purview of the SEC, et cetera. So what they're really after here and what's going on to a large degree, in my opinion, is they're trying to control uh, the sale transaction of the, of the houses and properties that are um, on the verge of imminent foreclosure. And whether that be imminently foreclosed by judgment in a judicial state or through an imminent foreclosure sale that's about to occur in a non-judicial state. And, and what, what I'm seeing here, and I'm just going to give, I'll start off with one example. So I've got a broker-dealer guy with a pretty shady background. He sets up a trust uh, in Delaware. It's one of these legal title trust uh, names. They filed the registration fee, so on and so forth. Um, and then what they do is they fund the trust with $100. And then from there, they begin to issue certificates by raising capital from outside investors. So... Uh, Actually, let me jump around a bit of talk a little bit about foreclosure uh, auction schemes. So when the foreclosure crisis first started off uh, in 2008-9 and right in there, uh, law enforcement and the feds had their hands full with all kinds of bid rigging schemes and all kinds of foreclosure sale schemes on the courthouse of steps. And one of the biggest schemes that was taking place 
was that a group of investors would get together and they would pool their money essentially and act as though they were a bunch of individual investors bidding on the property. But what they really had done behind the scenes is pool their money and then have one person in that party submit the winning bid. And then they would take that property and immediately sell it to another party who they had already lined up uh, in some way, shape, or form to then transfer uh, the property. And then they'd sit and they'd divvy up uh, all the profits from their little colluded efforts. And so lots of people went to jail, and all this stuff was going on on the surface. So really what's going on now is it's, it's the same types of forms of rigging the, the, the sales system has now gone uh, into hiding and under the weeds and, and gone through all these fake trusts and so on and so forth. So what? So going back to this trust uh, example, uh, they start and fund this so-called title trust with $100. And then what they do is they identify in the data systems um, a number of properties. It could be one, two, three, it's just any number of properties that are going to be imminently sold at a foreclosure sale. And then they, once they identify that, they raise money by having uh, investors uh, put a bunch of money into the trust pool and, and in exchange for certificates. And uh, the fundraising usually occurs within about 40, 48 hours of a sale. And then they'll take that money and they work and cut a deal with the uh, current party who controls the uh, either the judgment or by assignment in the land records, whoever that party might be. But it's usually, you know, the servicers and those people that own the data, that they're selling data, right? And so they um, – uh, make a deal where they're doing an assignment of rights, really. It's, and it's an assignment not in the typical sense that you think of of a recorded mortgage assignment in the land records where you're um, actually purchasing and assigning mortgages or deeds and actual notes and buying the debt. That's not what they're doing, and that's what they're not peddling in. And the reason why we have these scams going on is because, once again, none of these foreclosures are being used to uh, liquidate the properties and to extinguish and pay off any debt that exists on any books and records, right? We talked about that uh, repeatedly. So what they're doing is they're buying an assignment of rights uh, behind the scenes. And so let's say you have – and also playing into this is the old rent-to-charter scheme, right? U.S. Bank is trustee of whatever newfangled uh, trust they set up in Delaware. So anyway, uh, they've got this XYZ trust. Uh, they're buying um, an assignment of rights to control the sale of the property and get first rights to buy this pending uh, foreclosure uh, property. So not... It's not going to go to sale like it should on the courthouse steps, as the statutes say it must be done. They're getting rights to control and buy that under, you know, behind the scenes and outside the purview of um, having to disclose anything. Okay, so when they, so there's different ways that this goes about. Um, one of which is if you see a uh, one of these trusts suddenly show. Uh, show up on the trustee's deed upon sale where the uh, where the trustee says uh, the winning bidder was not the grantee and that was this XYZ trust or whatever, um, one of the red flags that you'll probably recognize is whatever that trust was that purchased, alleged to have purchased it, 
um, they were set up long before the um, foreclosure sale. And the agreements that they had when they were buying the data to these properties, these transactions occurred way before the sale. So they were already in some sort of collusion and, and cahoots uh, to uh, become the winning bidder at the sale. Now, that's one if if the trust actually shows up at the sale. The other uh, one that I've that you were discussing here a little bit is the assignments, where when they do these assignments of rights, they're basically assigning the right not only to control the sale, and they're not assigning, again, the, the debt or the note or anything, because these are like flash trades. They don't have time, nor do they care. They're not exchanging and taking possession of notes and, and all that sort of thing. They just want to control and have the rights to handle the sale. And so what they're doing in some of these cases is they're pretending to take an assignment of the notes and deeds of trust or mortgage for these particular properties. Um, and then that allows them to submit the bid and take the property again back into REO, as you were discussing earlier, and then that allows them to control it and do a uh, pre-sale, usually, to another party that they've already earmarked um, to pass this uh, property on to uh, through another sale and assignment after after the uh, non-judicial foreclosure sale. So they're, they're gaming the system here in many ways. And uh, and they're getting a jump um, on it, and they're they're doing it under the guise of one, you have to be an institutional investor uh, and, and a qualified investor, but there's no uh, regulation, it appears, on many of these uh, unregistered securities that they're they're dealing with. In fact, I've got two of these parties that I've been tracking who are behind a couple of these large trusts that are dealing in this, and the parties whom I'm able to identify have very shady uh, securities dealing uh, backgrounds where they've had their licenses, Series 7 licenses and all those things um, uh, revoked uh, for uh, doing all kinds of felonious behavior and, and um uh, in raising capital and bilking investors, that sort of thing. And these these bottom feeders um, are coming back full circle, and they're creating these uh, data purchasing entities called trusts, and this is exactly what they're pulling off. Um, and so as I'm gathering up more and more of this, um, it's it's one, it's, uh, it's becoming more clear that they're doing uh, these antitrust violations, really, and, and using the rent-to-charter schemes with the banks to pull it off. So there's a lot of parties who are apparently uh, in the know on how this is going down. Um, but, again, the, the real reason behind it, uh, Charles, is the fact that uh, they're not – when they liquidate these properties and carry out the sales and control these things – it's it's just like uh, the service for witnesses have testified repeatedly in depositions. Once the property is liquidated, who where does the money go? Who gets the money and so on and so on? It's and they say they well, uh, they probably know, but they say we don't know. But the bottom line is it's not going to pay down any debt or pay off a debt, and that's the whole point and intention of having a foreclosure sale is that the liquidated proceeds are to pay off the alleged debt that is owed. So. Um, that's the whole reason why 
these schemes and scams are are getting more pervasive and allowed to uh, to occur is because um, when I read some of these documents uh, and some of these uh, title trust documents, it's the wordsmithing is 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 uh, amazing. It's a it, it, you you well, it's a plausible deniability factor. Well, they use and they spell out oftentimes very clearly exactly what they're doing, and they're doing a shell game uh, or a three card monte where they're doing split second transactions of buying, selling, trading rights to this stuff and this data. And there clearly is no transfer of notes. There's no transfers of uh, the deeds or any of this sort of thing. And nor could they even have any way of verifying any of it from the, their sellers. And uh, and the reason why uh, they're happening so fast and they're willing to take these chances and, and game the system and, and, and pay for this defective data is that the sellers are typically uh, indemnifying behind the scenes um, with pretty complex indemnification agreements to say, listen, take the data, you've got first rights, do what you got to do, create any documents you need to do, whatever it takes to pull it off, sell it, do whatever you got to do, and if anybody starts to give you a hard time or sues or litigates or any of that sort of thing, then we'll just have to assign it back or, and we're going to indemnify in some way, shape, or form. And, and that's really what it, what it boils down to is uh, the investors are just jumping the game, paying some sort of fee that I can't really decipher what that is or what percentage it is to get this data and the rights to the properties. But uh, clearly it has nothing to do, or nor does it resemble a, um, a, a traditional legal non-judicial foreclosure or share of sale foreclosure. Charles? Uh, yeah, that's, that's really good input. I think, you know, speaking of fundamentals, uh, that goes to the the fundamental of how the institutional players are usually doing some kind of work around or run around or otherwise gaming the system so they don't have to play by conventional rules. Uh, we are going to be discussing you know, more details on this in a future show because there are a lot of moving parts and there are a lot of mechanics to how this last-minute play is basically bypassing the, um, the purchase rules at sale. Um, I mean, typically, um, you know, institutional players who take the property to sale and these foreclosures in a lot of situations they would rather the property go to a third party purchaser but now that there's a lot more equity in the property uh, and, and a lot of these sales even though theoretically that equity under most legal theories including California non-judicial foreclosures either most or all of that equity you know after all the liens are paid off and go back to the homeowner uh, of course the reality is more complicated than that so I am seeing, even in California, uh, there there are more sales where the property is going back on a credit bid, and that's where the institutional players that Bill is taking talking about they essentially um, figure out what amount they need to put forward so that a third party won't end up buying the property. 
Uh, what Bill is talking about is that's there's a bypass even of that procedure, and you know we'll get in we'll get into the nuts and bolts on of that on a future show. Show I think that's a little complicated, um, you know, for our first run right now. And then uh, again, appreciate all the input on that, Bill. I'm going to be addressing the uh, eviction. And, and the foreclosure uh, moratorium front right now. I think it's absolutely true that the the media has largely been kind of soft peddling or underreporting what's going on here. You know, you do hear on some mass media outlets about the Texas Supreme Court decision. Of at this point, it's more than a month ago. It's early April, and you know, speaking of moving parts, speaking about complex details, yes, one of the issues with, and it is a fundamental issue, both the foreclosure moratorium as it relates to mortgages and the uh, eviction moratorium as it relates to rentals. And, of course, that applies to, you know, garden variety rentals where somebody has a long-term lease to rent a property, maybe they have a short term, maybe they have a month to month, but they're renting. Uh, but remember, in the vast majority of situations in most states, if your property goes to sale and you stay in the property, you know, there are a lot of different words that can be used to describe your tenancy. I think holdover tenancy is it's still a good term, even though technically – if you look at holdover tenancy in a limited way, it would only apply if you had a real tenancy to begin with. You're holding over from a real tenancy and you're not paying your rent for whatever reason. I look at the term more broadly and and often in post-foreclosure eviction cases, you know, various elements including the plaintiffs in those cases, including the judicial officials, they will describe the tenant as holding over an old over tenant. Uh, again, there are some fine distinctions there that are beyond the scope of the show. Nevertheless, uh, within the time frame that we have, the national moratorium, as it applies to both foreclosures and evictions, now it does end as of now, June 30th. I think the reality is uh, it's going to be extended yet again into September 30th. Uh, then again, it may not be. I mean, there are a lot of moving parts with the COVID-19 kind of national and global situation, and that's more complex and convoluted than probably, you know, anything other than, you know, patent law scenarios, you know, even as complex as foreclosure securitization gets. There are so many variations on the COVID-19 front, but it's impossible to keep track of all of them. Suffice to say, for our purposes, there are really, you know, the numbers are more than 10 million now of actual loans that have been protected and under various forms of protection, under not just the national, but various state moratoriums. And so the number of people impacted when you look at households, two, three, four people often in a household. 
you know, you're talking upwards 40 million plus people, maybe more. It's a large percentage of the American population. I mean, it's uh, absolutely more than 10%, you know, what the final real number is. That would have to be parsed out with deeper analysis. Uh, again, again, for our purposes here on the show, we're talking about tens of millions of people. We're talking about the media covering most of this up and, 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 and kind of pretending like it's just continuing with the moratorium and that's it. Meanwhile, Texas, which is the most populous state after California, they have, um, as of early April, their Supreme Court essentially nullified the eviction moratorium. So evictions are going forward there. And I can say on the ground that California uh, foreclosures are going forward as well. We're going to have to get into the nuts and bolts more specifically on a future show. Uh, for right now, I thank you, Bill, uh, for being on again with your great analysis. And uh, Neil will be back next week. Thank you, Charles. Appreciate that. The opinions expressed on The Neil Garfield Show are those of its hosts and should not be ascribed to any other persons or entities. For more information about Neil, the blog, or upcoming seminars, please visit livinglies.me. Give us a call at 954-451-1230 or send an email to n-e-i-l-f-g-a-r-f-i-e-l-d at hotmail.com. Thank you for listening to The Neil Garfield Show. If the information has helped you, consider making a donation by visiting livinglies.me.